joined in the studio by a couple of other voices well known to Londoners. Robert Metz and Jeff Schlemmer. Nice to have you here, guys. Morning, Jim. Nice to have you back. We've got a number of... Uh, I've got a number of things that I want to just maybe throw on the table today. And not necessarily one big issue, but there are a number of things I'd just like to kind of chat with you about. And as we've said before, folks, that uh, this program isn't always about going head-to-head -head with each other. Sometimes it's uh, very enjoyable for me just to kind of pick the brains of my two guests. Uh, because they are both, uh, as I've said before, very intelligent, well-spoken individuals, and it's fun for me to to. Uh, oh shucks! Yeah, that was true. It's fun for me to get, kind of get their take on a lot of things. So, I've, two or three things I just want to throw on the table and get your reading on, guys. Um, earlier on today, we talked to a fellow who was a former member of the Ku Klux Klan. Danny Brad Thompson. He was a former uh, grand whiz banger, whatever the heck he was. <laughs> and uh, he's not anymore. He left and wrote a book about it, uh, and denouncing it and saying, don't get, don't get caught in this. It's a waste of time. A bunch of hypocrites, etc., etc." At one point in the conversation, I noted uh, for his uh, 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 consideration that Canada's approach to free speech is different than the American approach. Uh, one of the problems that Americans have, particularly in our smaller towns, is the Klan will call up and say, we're going to have a rally at the courthouse. And uh, we need police protection because we're going to say some pretty inflammatory things, or they may not say this, but this is implicit in their request. And these towns have to spend tens of thousands of dollars to provide police protection, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, because these guys are protected by the First Amendment and can say virtually anything they want. They can preach hatred. They can, they can just say or do anything they want. Not do, but say anything they want under the First Amendment protection. And uh, as he says, it creates a lot of problems for these communities because the, uh, if the communities say, no, you can't, they get the American Civil Liberties Union on the phone, the Klan does, and they send out some lawyers to defend them because it's a free speech issue, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I asked him what he thought of the possibility of the United States adopting some careful restrictions to their uh, First Amendment right of free speech, not unlike the restrictions that we have here. Uh, which I would put to both of you sometimes are abused, the ability to constrain people from these kinds of comments. I think you could also make a case that, uh, that uh, it is probably in the best interest, or it may be in the best interest of society as a whole, to say there are some things you just can't say in public. Uh, Jeff, I want to start with you. Uh, Brad Thompson said he thought it would be a good idea for the Americans to adopt a little of that from us. Do you, do you share that view, or are they better off being able to say anything they want. Uh, I think that I think we're better off. Although I recognize the the, the potential slippery slope that once you start uh, assessing, uh, you know, who gets to talk, that uh, that uh, uh, it's it's extremely tempting for a government to say, but you can't say bad things about us. In fact, I was reading the other day about uh, New York City and how the uh, city hall there has been virtually. Uh, shut off, and that you can only give a, a political speech now at City Hall if you get a permit from the mayor. And you can imagine if it's something critical of the mayor that you're not going to get your permit. Um, so I recognize that as a potential problem. But having said that, I think that uh, the idea that there are some things that are just not not useful for the majority of us to hear, uh, like like hate, just pure bile, like the clan style bile, is just not not useful. Certainly, directly, it doesn't serve any purpose uh, for society. Uh, indirectly, uh, you talk about the costs and all that uh, associated with it. Um, so I think that, uh, that those are, are bad enough things to justify saying, we're not going to let you say whatever you want, uh, regardless of the cost. I, I recognize the theory, but I think the cost is just too high. Bob, would you take issue with that at all? Um, I think I'd oppose the idea of any form of censorship or speech control on more on a basis of principle. Uh, 
Um, in, you know, we, can, we are in a free society supposed to be able to say whatever we want, no matter who it makes uncomfortable or who doesn't like your opinion, short of slander and libel mm -hmm. or outright fraud. Um, what we do not have a right to do is initiate violence in a society. And it just strikes me that if we are dealing with people who are promoting racist and unacceptable points of view, the response must be with reason, not with force. Because and, uh, if we come back with censorship, then we're saying, gee, we don't have any response to your stupid ideas, and gee, you must be right, and therefore the only way we can counter it is we're going to shut you up. And, and that's the message that is totally implicit in censorship. And yet you acknowledge that we do have restrictions on slander, libel, and fraud. Yes. Could you not make the case that someone who's preaching racial superiority, for example, is perpetrating a fraud on the public? It depends on how he does it, I suppose, but he has, it has to be on, on an individual basis. You, you can't really slander a group. You can slander members of a group. And if members of a particular group feel that they have been slandered, they can launch a, a suit of some sort as individuals, not as members of a group, because they don't get any extra rights just because they're in a group. Mm -hmm. So it's always an individual thing. But, you know, you also mentioned that thing, you can't say anything you want in public. Well, that's very true, I believe, because the public streets, again, we come back to this all the time, are not really owned by us, they're owned by government. They actually have a status. They're used for certain purposes. And it's, you know, it's more true to say you can't say anything you want in private. Because in private, privacy, we have all kinds of restrictions. You can kick people out of your home if you don't like what they're saying. They can't stay there and keep saying it. Um, private broadcasters, private uh, newspaper people can censor, quote, although it's not censorship, it's merely editorial mm -hmm. um, license, uh, anything they want in their paper. So, so the issue in public is a matter of what are we going to say these streets are for? I, 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 you know, I think that if you want to preach nonsense and hatred and all that stuff, you have the right to do it, but you've got to do it with your own facilities and your own property and not be infringing on the rights and properties of others. Now, does the state have an obligation to, to defend you or protect you? You know, they talked about the costs, and they sound yes. like they're pretty considerable yeah. in defending these guys. Yeah. Uh, do, should the state be paying for that, do you think? Well, that's their job, I'm afraid, and... and and the thing is, we're not going to address this issue until somebody gets up and says what is wrong with the ideas that these people are propounding and, and what's right with them, because mm -hmm. that's the real confusing part, because it, it's such a mix, and people often have a hard time uh, distinguishing the, the wheat from the chaff, so to speak. What do we do, then, in a society like ours where we already have these constraints? Are we, are we less... Are we less free than the Americans are in an absolute sense? I mean, our no, I would say we have the same problems in this country, if perhaps not a little more so, but we know less about them because of the constraints. You know, Brad Thompson may say that, that a little bit of censorship here and there is what he wants, but I guarantee you that the minute that little bit of censorship is enacted, Brad Thompson's books are going to be taken off the shelves. It's the same phenomenon that I think a lot of feminists had when they tried to uh, ban pornography and when they reached some level of success with censorship of pornography, they found out their own material was not being allowed into the country mm -hmm. because it deals with sex, too, for heaven's sakes, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So there, there's no winning. You can't, you, can't, you can't fight bad ideas by using force. All you're saying is that you're giving up, you haven't got a better response, and, and might is right, which is, a, which is a message I don't think that we should be teaching to anyone. Now, the other thing I sort of wonder about is uh, why, why draw the line at libel, for instance, or fraud, and why not just because, say it's wide because open? Because fraud, fraud, for example, it involves, is the same as the initiation of force. 
If I defraud you of property, for example, or for something of exchange, that would be the same as if I held a gun to you and stuck you up and said, give me your money, because I've misrepresented myself. And that is sort of a contract we have with each other, whether it's verbal or assumed in the marketplace. And that's, that's the kind of thing we need government to police and to keep, keep us honest. But in terms of opinion, in terms of what you feel, or if you hate something or you love something, well, that's, that's your own business, and you have a right to express it. That's, if you don't have that right, what have you got? And what about the personal libel, though? That uh, same thing that uh, if, if the theory is that uh, if somebody says you're a big so-and-so, you should be able to defend yourself and have compelling evidence just to demonstrate you're not a big so-and-so. So, you know, what's, what's the reason for prohibiting libel? Well, somebody can label you. Like if somebody called, you know, called Mr. X a child molester, you know, I don't think Mr. X has a case yet until that person says, well, you're a child molester because you molested child B over here and stated a specific. Then the onus is back on that person to prove differently, and you've got a real case, and you're dealing with reality and evidence and all the other things that you need in a court of law. It seems to be the mischief from all those things, and, and not defining it specifically to libel or fraud, the mischief from, from all those things is just such that uh, it, it's hard to see a utility other than the, the potential risk of shutting out some legitimate discourse. Well, you know, I'm not talking about a blanket... Um, kind of law, you know, libel and slander laws are sort of, they have to be initiated by the person who has been libeled and slandered, and it has to be that person's uh, case to put before the law why that person should be refraining from saying certain things about them. Um, personally, you know, I'm, I'm facing that situation right now. I, I mean, there's, if, I, if you go on the internet, you're going to find all kinds of uh, websites calling me a racist. And I have long pondered, should I be uh, suing these people or what? Because, you know, you read, oh, why is he a racist? Oh, because he doesn't believe in uh, official bilingualism or he doesn't believe in uh, official multiculturalism or because I want to get rid of human rights commissions, mm -hmm. you know? So, is that libelous? Well, yeah, if you're going to be really serious about the word racist, but when I see the reason why someone's calling me a racist, there, there's nothing racist about any of those policies, you mm -hmm. know? And I have to expect that the reader who reads that may know about that, but they may not, and they may, may, they may draw a false conclusion. Is that not why we have those, those rules in place? Because we cannot be convinced that the average consumer of this information will be educated enough to recognize well, whether it's true or not. We have the rules in place so that we can, to the greatest degree possible, maximize you know, proper representation when people are you know, talking to each other and offering each other goods and services. Uh, fraud is the same thing as initiating force. It's the, it's the same kind of thing, because what you're doing is causing a person to act in a way they otherwise would not were the reality or truth of a situation, you know, known to them. We're going to pause for a moment. Uh, lots more to come on Left, Right, and Center. If you'd like to join the discussion, you're always welcome at 643-1290. Left, Right, and Center with Jeff Schlemmer and Bob Matz. And we, as I said earlier, we're going to take a look at a number of issues today, just kind of an overview. Uh, tomorrow, Stan Falder is scheduled to be executed in, in uh, Texas. Um, we talking to a friend today who was talking to a friend of his in Alberta, who says this is not even making the news in Alberta, despite the fact he's an Alberta native, that it's not even in the news. It seems to be it's big news around here, but nobody's paying much attention to it all out there. I don't know whether that tells us anything or not. Um, the, the question I want to put to you two fellows is not whether this is right or wrong, whether he should be put to death, but this effort by kind of an ad hoc group of Canadians now, including uh, the ambassador of the United States, uh, Raymond Chrétien, the prime minister's nephew, um, who uh, reportedly this morning had, uh, had called uh, uh, Governor Bush and, and uh, pleaded with him to, uh, to show a little clemency towards Mr. Falder. 
Some people have suggested that this is a waste of time, effort, energy, and resources on the part of these Canadians who are doing this. Uh, Axworthy went down, of course, and I don't suppose he paid for his own trip. Uh, a local politician, Susan Eagle, is down there, and uh, I've heard that some people are a little concerned or complaining that she's there rather than here taking care of her political responsibilities. Is this, uh, is this a good or a bad thing, or is, it, or is it something to which we should be indifferent, the fact that this kind of ad hoc group of Canadians has gone down there to protest the policies in Texas? Well, I would say that uh, it's a darn good thing. And what one of the things that most bothers me about this is that uh, the Americans seem to be saying that, yeah, we broke international law, but the only uh, but the people we broke it in relation to were the Canadians. So who cares about those guys? They're just a bunch of wimps. Uh, that uh, in this case, uh, nobody's saying, as far as I can tell, the guy should walk out of the prison. What they're saying is that uh, they should go back and have a look at uh, the way this was done. And assuming that he, that, uh, he did commit this murder, I'm, uh, I would assume that everybody would say he's going to have to spend the rest of his life in uh, prison, as you would in Canada. But the, the, this whole argument about, well, you know, you commit a crime in a country where there's a capital punishment, uh, you know, and tough luck. The problem with that, from my perspective, is that they have this international convention which says that, yeah, but if that happens, and, and your countries are both signatories to this thing, the first thing they do is let the uh, consulate know so they can get you a darn good lawyer. And that didn't happen for 15 years in this guy's case. My question would be, though, just to stop you halfway here, why, why should it be our responsibility as Canadian citizens to get this guy a darn good lawyer? Well, because he's going to fry. And I guess, it, just twist it around a little bit for mind of it, there are lots of Americans in countries around the world that have capital punishment for other things that Americans may not agree with. There are countries, I understand, that have uh, the death penalty for adultery, for instance. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in a case like that, to me, the Americans are playing with fire if they're saying, we're just going to ignore these international conventions, because sure enough, what will happen is some American will get in trouble in some country and be sentenced to death for something like that and the americans seem to be saying well don't bother to tell us about it we don't we don't mind that you can bet that if the shoe was on the other foot and it was the states who were trying to get somebody out of iran or some other country because they've been sentenced to something the americans disagree with the americans would be sending in the marines so know? the so the value from your point of view then the value of this inter intercession is is to remind us again of the importance of these international agreements well and also to go back and have a look at that there's some serious problems with this with this trial from what i've heard among other things i guess there's an affidavit filed by the lawyer who defended this fellow at the murder trial who said that uh, he felt totally incompetent in doing it, that it was his first murder trial, didn't know what he was doing, that apparently it was a private prosecution paid for by the family of the, uh, of the dead woman. Uh, you know, where, where you have to go to a private prosecution, at least in Canada, that means that the government thinks that there is no case, that there isn't much of a case there. Uh, those are things that to me are worth looking at. Apparently when the, uh, during the submissions on the question of whether there should be the death penalty or not, there was no defense. There was no defense offered at all. Uh, so those are things that should be looked at. And, and I'm not saying that uh, anybody should have the least sympathy for this guy if he did the, did the deed. You know, as far as I'm concerned, he should rot the rest of his days in a jail. But there's some serious problems with this. Uh, it's serious enough that, to me, they should hold off and go back and have the, another look at it. And if they don't, if they just say, too bad, we're just going ahead. we got a lot of people to, to execute here, and we can't afford to let one off the assembly line. Uh, I think it's a huge slap in the face to Canada. Well, let me ask you the same question in terms of uh, this, this group of Canadians going down there mm -hmm. and, and, and making their case. Is that a positive or a negative? Um, you know, I'm going I'm to say positive because I don't think they're going to get what they want necessarily. But I think what they're doing is making an international protest making a statement of basically where Canada stands on a couple of issues and letting the states know that, well, on the, on the issue of the relationships and the technicalities of the legalities between the two countries, that something was not honored, and making a statement basically against capital punishment. 
Now, you know, even if I did support capital punishment, which I do not, uh, although I do believe life should be life, uh, and I think in, in any survey you find where, where that option is offered, a majority of people do not support capital punishment. It goes the other way. If, if life means life, you get uh, fewer than 20% of the people supporting it. So, but even if, even if capital punishment were to exist, I would agree with you that this is not a case that, that applies for criteria for capital punishment. There are just too many inconsistencies and, uh, and, and doubts, and it's not like, um, you know, this, 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 this just isn't the case for capital punishment. Um, yeah, my concern is, and I've expressed this before, that uh, the, the phrase that's used in law, at least in the States, I don't know if it applies in Canada, is beyond a reasonable doubt. I think in a, in a, in a capital case, it has to be beyond an unreasonable doubt. Mm -hmm. There has well, to be no doubt, no question at all that this individual committed this crime. And there, in spite of the fact this guy, this guy was convicted, there are still a lot of questions. Yes, and those questions tell me that, you know, if he, if he gets life instead of a death penalty, that you never know. Some evidence might resurface or somebody might come out of this because there's so many fishy things yeah. that, that later proves that the person's innocent. Or, uh, you know, I've, I've been scratching my head about this case, too. We were thinking about this the other day and wondering if this guy's, you know, maybe kind of weird and covering for something because he even confessed to the murder once, but mm -hmm. they would not accept it. Mm -hmm. uh, this, this is just too weird a case. The uh, I don't want to I don't want to do the issue of capital punishment because we have talked about that before. If uh, Governor Bush uh, fails to uh, to exercise some executive clemency here, uh, is that Jeff? Is that a slap in the face to Canadians? Oh, of course it is. And uh, I get, it, what I've sort of read is that it may be the best chance that we have of uh, of getting somewhere is the fact that he's got clearly got presidential aspirations and uh, if he decides to go ahead and, and it's his call he's trying to say well it's up to the board and all this kind of stuff but he's the guy who signs on the dotted line if he decides to go ahead I don't think Canadians will forget that and uh, if but he, what difference does it make if we don't forget if he becomes president well you know I guess it, it seems like politicians uh, try to get along some of them don't if they don't get along things don't go as well for them when it comes to negotiating things when it comes to wanting a favor when it comes to uh, the states wanting us to be there in desert storm backing them up and all that kind of stuff if they've been busy uh, thumbing their noses at us then they better not expect any favors in return uh, and as I say nobody's saying in this case that they should let the guy walk out the front door all they're saying is you've got this arbitrary deadline, give us a bit more time to go back and look at that. With two countries that are supposed to be among the closest in the world, with this uh, apparent slight, to me it's not much to ask for a little bit more time. I want to change the focus again and head well, down... Before to you do, Jeff, oh, your question to Jeff kind of made me d double think my last answer. <laughs> you, <clears throat> you asked me if this was a good thing or not, the mm -hmm. protest down there, and mm -hmm. you asked if, if Governor Bush goes ahead with this, will it be a slap in the face? I'm thinking that's the risk they took going down the protest. Had there not been the protest, then there would not have been a risk of a slap in the face, if you know what I mean. And uh, by the fact that they're there and have gone public, now if they go ahead, then we've got a slap in the face, you know what I mean? It's, uh, it's just sort of a catch-22 of getting down there, the risk you take when you make a protest. Okay. I want to say, we want to change the focus down to Kingsville, where these uh, grade 9 boys were... Oh, yeah. uh, Forced to, uh, I don't know, forced to, I don't know how, if you're a teacher with the authority teachers have today, which is very limited, I don't know how you force kids to submit to a strip search, but they were perhaps coerced is a better word, or intimidated into it. Um, we are now told these two teachers have been suspended. Uh, there seems to be little doubt that they will be dealt with rather seriously because this is seen to be a very serious uh, uh, 
imposition on the rights of these young men. Um, at the same time, the courts have said teachers do have the right to um, exceed the customary personal protections you might enjoy against an unreasonable search uh, by virtue of the fact you're a student, that students do not enjoy in the, in, the, in, the, in the context of the school or literally physically in the school, they don't enjoy quite the same freedom that, sh that they might outside the school. Um, given that, given that the courts have ruled fairly clearly on that, that yes, you can search a student's locker, clothing, etc., etc., these guys obviously went too far on this thing. But is it, the, the, it was predicated, we think, and it seems, uh, as far as we can tell now, we'll know more when the case comes to court, it seems to be predicated on the fact that these teachers thought they had the right to do this. They didn't think at the time that they were, in fact, uh, contravening these, these young men's rights. Uh, as is now being painted. Jeff, I want to ask you, you are a lawyer. Um, with the, uh, um, the furor that has, that has grown over this, like people just seem to be absolutely outraged that this could have happened. Would we have been better off, would, might we have avoided this if, we had, if the courts had not ruled that teachers do have the right to search students, albeit not quite this extensively, but they do have that right. Is that, is that a positive thing for, is that a pos positive power for the teachers to have? Uh, well, I, I think that uh, the first thing is, as you point out, one of, the, one of the difficulties with the way that our law evolves is that uh, one of the places it evolves is in court cases, and uh, you've got the Supreme Court of Canada give, rendering a decision, and, and I haven't read the decision, I'm not really familiar with it, but uh, broadly it seemed to say that uh, in cases where there's an issue about drugs or weapons that uh, teachers may have the right to search students, although they didn't ever say strip search. And it, it's pretty coincidental that this should happen just after that case came out, where it's never happened before. So I presume that these guys were looking to this case for some guidance. The problem with these cases is that they're not written as a sort of a nice, clear guideline saying, okay, here's what you can do and here's what you can't do. And my sense is that somebody must have had some broad general sense that, well, the Supreme Court of Canada just said it's okay to search people, therefore we're going to go, go nuts. Um, now, bearing in mind that we haven't heard a word from the teachers themselves mm -hmm. about what happened. We've heard from, I, I heard a student being interviewed last night on TV, but uh, I think that it points out one of the problems, and that is if you get your law second or third hand, you can get it wrong, and invariably somebody's going to uh, take it too far, abuse it. But I think that what's really unfortunate about the whole thing, though, is that uh, it seems to me that what's got lost in all of this, and, and maybe appropriately because this is so over the top, but what's got lost is the fact that a kid lost 90 bucks, and nobody's sort of said a word about that uh, from my end of it. Now, I, I was talking with some friends last night before I had sort of heard the gritty details about it and said, you know, if what we're talking about here is you've got a bunch of grade 9 boys in a, in a gym class, they go into a change room, they strip down to their gotchis, and some teacher says, well, just hold on there for a minute, don't put your pants on yet, we're going to go through them. From my end of it, that's not that invasive, you know, compared to what we've heard recently with the police in Toronto where they're strip-searching uh, women in broad public, for instance, out in the street. If you've got some boys standing around in their underwear, as they're standing around in their underwear changing, and you say, hang on a minute, we're going to look through your pants, I don't find that dramatically offensive, and I don't think that that's a violation of their civil liberties. And I also think that there is something to be said still for the idea that there's some group responsibility. You know, some kid lost 90 bucks, it's in a small town. I don't know what the ethic is as far as uh, change rooms in, in small towns. I know in London, you know, you'd be nuts to leave anything in a change room because mm -hmm. it's just it's a big city, but in small towns, people don't lock their doors. It's different, and, and that's something that's good. Um, and I think that uh, if, again, the teachers had taken that approach and said, look, we're going to have to look through this stuff and see if we can find the person, 
that wouldn't have been the end of the world. Now, I understand that, in fact, they, they closeted them one at a time in the, uh, in the gym teacher's office, forced them to strip down butt naked and bend over, and I still don't know what that's about. hate to think. Uh, that obviously is just way beyond the pale, and it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, because I, I don't know what you do about it. If, just, they, if they were to say, and, and, and it became apparent that they believed it, that they thought they were covered by the Supreme Court ruling, should they be disciplined beyond saying it was a bad idea, don't do it again? Well, there are, two, there are always two issues in, in whenever somebody does something wrong. First is deterrence, that is, don't do it again. The second is, uh, what do you do for the victims? You know, and in this case, these guys have been victimized. This is something you shouldn't have to go through. It's not to say that it's going to be the end of the world for them and that their lives are destroyed or anything, but there's certainly something, some, some gesture of some kind that's got to be made to these boys. What I find unfortunate, though, is the idea that if you make the teachers apologize, for instance, and maybe they should apologize for the specific thing they did because it's so, it's so far over the top, but I, 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 and I almost hate to say this myself because I'm a strong believer in individ individual rights, but I hate for kids to get the idea that that there isn't such a thing as responsibility mm -hmm. and that there isn't such a thing as we should feel badly that this kid lost 90 bucks. He's probably in big <coughs> trouble, you know, with who knows why he had it or anything else. Mm -hmm. But assuming that, uh, that that happened, as a bunch of boys, when I was in grade nine, we would feel bad about that. And we'd want to find the person. In those days, you'd go beat the crap out of them, I guess. Bob, what about uh, some same same idea, same question to you? Is this did this happen as a result of an unfortunate infringement on these individuals' rights? I just can't rights? believe anybody even took it this far that anyone would practice such a thing in a school. I I find the whole thing abhorrent. Even if you ha give the right to someone in authority to say search someone, it's got to be a single individual, someone that you suspect of doing a certain act that's illegal or immoral or whatever else, and you have to have some evidence for which to suspect that single person. You don't round up groups and hope that you find somebody and mm -hmm. put everybody through the same kind of a situation. Uh, I mean, that's just unheard of. I, I, I don't think it's acceptable under any circumstances. And, and even if even an individual, if they were going to be strip searched, uh, we should have the right to refuse. But then the school should have the right to kick him out mm -hmm. and not let him back on the premises if, the, if he refuses that or refuses to to comply with what I think they should be doing is calling the police. If there's $90 stolen, you're dealing with a criminal act, it's the police job to go around mm -hmm. and, and ask relevant witnesses and students what they saw, what they didn't saw, and piece things together. They're more efficient at that than you think. You know, I, they, I would, they know I, what questions to ask. I would have <laughs> to guess that they don't have a zero po tolerance policy in Kingsville, because my understanding is in London, in a situation like that, the police would be called. Oh, well, that's a uh, more appropriate response, as far as I'm concerned. Now, the paradoxically, though, the courts seem to say the police actually have less search power than the, than the teachers do. Mm -hmm. And again, I don't know the rationale for that, but I was just reading about that, and, and, and literally in the decision it does say that, that the teachers have a broader power to search than the police would. Uh, and I say I have no idea why, but, but one of the things that occurs to me is that it is, in a way, an unfortunate escalation of the thing, though, that you have to bring the police in every time something goes wrong in a school. And, uh, you know, I just, uh, I, I feel like we're almost switching sides on this, I don't know, but uh, for mine, <laughs> but I, I regret the old days, in a sense, when these things were less formal, and uh, there was this more of a sense of group responsibility, uh, and... Uh, you would look to it and say, this is a bad thing that's happened here. Let's keep the focus on that and not sort of switch it over to everybody's got all these rights all over the place. Uh, we're going to pause for a moment. When we come back, I'm going to ask both my guests about uh, constraints on our behavior. The students are, and, and both seem to agree that there's a certain logic behind that. Uh, let's take it the next step farther and see where that leads us. We'll do that right after this. One of these days we're going to tape the uh, discussions we have when we're off the air, perhaps uh, put them together, and uh, we'll sell them at the Western Fair or something. <laughs>
We were actually just talking about the weather, believe it or not. But I want to come back to this issue about uh, the kids now. The Supreme Court says, yes, you can search kids in school because it's given to be and Jeff maybe you can help me with the with the terminology here but the idea is that it is a it is a, a special environment it's an environment where other kids uh, deserve maximum protection etc 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 and so the, these kids are going to be some of their rights are going to be somewhat constrained um, let me ask both of you how is that any different from saying okay anybody who goes into the Galleria if we choose to uh, will be subject to a search for weapons because we know that uh, there's increasing incidence of, uh, of, of uh, concealed weapons, guns, knives, and so on. We look south of the border, we can see the pattern, we can see where we might very well be heading. And in the, in the interest of the safety of those individuals who are in those private premises, we should remember, mm -hmm. and just using the Galleria could as easily use any other pro uh, private place. Um, it, because of that, these people have a right to expect this kind of safety and uh, we are going to constrain again your your rights if you choose to enter this place. So I say we're going to we're going to search you every time you come in, but we think we should have the right if we suspect something we should have the right to uh, to ask you to submit and indeed to compel you to submit to a search. What's the difference between that and what the court said about the school? Well, in fact, in some ways, the uh, Galleria would be on stronger legal ground to do that because it's private property and uh, they can argue that you have a choice not to go in. If there's a big sign saying, by the way, if you come in here, we hope you do, but we may well strip search you. Okay. <laughs> and a strong, stronger moral ground, too, I think, that, because it is private property and you have the right to determine the conditions of who uses your property and under what circumstances. And to some extent, that already happens, that uh, we know that there are just tons of security cameras in, uh, mm -hmm. in the malls in town. There are private uh, plainclothes people watching you all the time when you're there and everything that you are giving up some of your... your that's why, that's why I always say that, that private property and the institution of private property rights is a better control than anything you can possibly do through government and the public. Mm -hmm. The issue with the schools is that we as taxpayers are forced to pay for them. The kids who go to them are forced to go to them. Um, there is no consent in the system for, for which someone can morally respond to improper action. If, I'm not sure if I'm explaining that right. Well, I would take a little uh, issue with it because the kids do have the option. They don't have to go to that school. They can stay home and be educated by their parents. Well, they to a degree, to a but the parents school. are still paying for that Absolutely. School, the, and, the money's and, still there, yes. But you've also got a board of education that uh, is supposed to be your community voice with these guys. Well, <laughs> yeah. well, how many jokes could I make up about that one? I don't know. Plus, we've got parent councils. You know, we've got uh, democracy coming out the kazoo when it, when it comes to Democracy schools. is not an answer to, to choice. I mean, you, you should be able to send your kids to the school of your choice with your own tax dollars and your own, or and or your own private money and, and determine what school you feel your kids are safe in. And, well, and besides what difference would it make, though? Because that school would be more privatized and then no, it could do the same thing when this happens, when somebody loses 90 bucks in a private school, how's it going be treated differently than it would be at a public school? Well, I, I imagine that they'd have some policies in place well in advance and everyone would know what they are and what their response to certain things would be because they generally look after their interests more in the sense of because they're private, they could be sued for certain things, too. And it makes them also more subject to a response. So, no. well, I would have thought you would say they would have less uh, bureaucracy and less sort of of the paperwork, like it's government that has all the policies and all that kind of I, stuff. I would suggest to you that most private environments, the environment would almost be more conducive to fewer of these incidents happening. All right, I want to ask you, but we're, we're going into schools here, so this just <laughs> occurred to me. Well, I, I wrote in my column on Sunday about the actions of a local high school principal, who, I don't know if you fellas saw the column, but he had, uh, uh, after a protest from one individual, uh, a parent, had removed the cross from the Remembrance oh, Day I service. Oh, I remember that now, yeah. 
Um, that's not democracy. That's not any kind of openness and inclus inclusiveness. This is one individual making an arbitrary decision on the basis of a complaint from one other individual. So you made a comment, Jeff, something about, you know, how much more democracy do you want with school councils and so on and so on. Where's the democracy there? Well, again, I don't, I'm not sure how you can distinguish that from a private school where if you get a complaint, I would think well, in some respect. That's not my point. But my, my point is you, you said something about how much more democracy do you want? Look at what we've got in the Well, I think in the, the democracy the occurred when that, when that policy was enacted. And but there was no it, policy. Well, or that, let's, let us say, philosophy of political correctness. That's why a principal would react so fast mm -hmm. to a single complaint, because he feels he already has the, the power of the political system and the, and the morality of society behind him. Oh, yeah, we've got to stop this because we believe in that all religions are equal and all the nonsense you get in, in, in that term. But in a private school, that person who called would have been the customer. And in, in a private enterprise, the customer drives things. You know, if the customer is unhappy or doesn't like crosses or whatever, then the, the private enterprise is going to... Right. Do what the problem the, what the resolved wants. Well, it would resolve in the same way, though. Well, and I'm well, not sure it would be. It might very well be that the, the, the U1 customer don't like that, but all the rest of my customers do, so right. I, you know, I'm, I'm going to err on the side of caution, and I'm very sorry you don't like it, but too bad. But again, I, that, this is where I would have thought that democracy would kick in, in the sense that uh, if somebody doesn't like the fact that uh, the principal's made this decision, he reports to or she reports to uh, a board, the board ultimately would make the decision about whether this is appropriate or not. Like, I would have thought that democracy would, would come to the point where there would be a debate about whether, you know, what the rules should be, blah, 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 this would all get worked out. Principals don't run the education system. Yeah, but it's interesting to me the amount of response I've had to that column. Um, I've heard from teachers at that school. I've heard from parents at that school. Every single one of them decrying what the what the principal did, and, and greatly so. And I won't say every single one of them, but certainly a majority of them. So when I said, "Well, what are you going to do about?" It? Well, there's nothing I can do. The teachers, I can't go up against the principal. I can't do that. I can't take a principal on in public. And the parents saying the the board doesn't care about us. They don't listen to us anyway. So what? You know, there's nothing we can do except to pat you on the back, Chapman, for for telling the truth. I just can't believe though if you get some board of education person on here, a trustee, they're going to say nothing I can do about it. The principal makes those decisions. No, but they're probably going to say it was the right decision. But that's given the, the whole point. Well, that's, that's vote a for problem. A different trustee. You yeah. know, in a public education system, there is no accountability. Let's just face it. If you if you haven't got the freedom to put your dollars where you want to put them. There simply cannot be accountability in such a system. No. It's going to be top-down, heavy bureaucracy, and, and, and run on authority rather than a marketplace kind of mentality. We have the same problem in private school. Welcome to Canada. We've got to pause for a moment. We'll be right back. Veteran Center with Schlemmer and Metz. Jim Chapman here. We've been talking about a variety of different things today. We were talking about schools and democracy and freedom and so on. Um, the idea, guys, that we that we have surrendered a lot of our individual freedom. And Bob, you, you've talked a lot about, uh, uh, about the lack of choice and so on. We've kind of voluntarily done that. We've kind of, more or less, in a broad sense, we've, volu we've voluntarily agreed that, this, that the state will run the schools. If you don't want to participate, you still have to pay for it. Uh, we can argue that you know, maybe we don't want to, and maybe it wasn't all that voluntary, but ultimately nobody's in the streets marching. I would, but we'll bypass Yeah, but nobody's marching now. in the right. streets saying <laughs> you can't do this. Um, we have certainly given up certain of those freedoms uh, in the name of some kind of egalitarianism. But the great question I have about this, this whole thing, about and this, the, 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 the cross at Remember State was, was a classic example. How did we get where we are, do you think? We, we've only got a few minutes left here, but it seems to me that on these issues of political correctness, uh, and I can speak with, I think, with some authority here, that I, I would venture to say if you walk down the street and ask the first hundred people you saw, 
uh, and explain political correctness in the context of, of this. For example, one person complains the cross taken out of the member state. I would venture to say that at least 90% of those people would say that's wrong. I don't support that. How do we get to a country where we seem to, we seem to govern ourselves, or we seem to be governed in, in these areas of political correctness that, anyway, on principles that are not supported, not only not supported by a majority, but not supported by, by hardly anybody in our society. How did we get there? Well, you know, I might use your terminology and say that we all agreed to it. We consented to it by voting for political parties that do support that. And they pass the laws, and the laws say how things are. Um, it, it's really funny. Philosophically, I've had to deal with this issue on so many levels with so many people. It comes back to that issue of racism again, mm -hmm. and people who would, for example, accuse me of being a racist because of certain of my political views. Well, me too. I've been accused of it as well. Sure. And, you know, there, there is a belief out there, and I think it's being pushed in the universities, because I've certainly seen it there, that, that because we talk about Western culture, that, that it's a white man's culture, or that because we speak of certain values of the traditions of this country versus the values of the traditions of countries of people who emigrate here, that we have to treat them equally, that the values they bring with them are equi equivalent to ours. Well, that's not entirely true. What we have to do is respect everyone's right to believe whatever values they have equally. Yeah, yeah. But that, that, that in itself is the value that makes us different from the countries that a lot of the immigrants came from, and mm -hmm. that's why they come here, mm -hmm. so that they can practice their values free of the... Uh, state intervention and social and whatever else you have in all the other countries that just make it impossible to lead a decent life in terms of what one's own values are. Mm -hmm. So I think you have this idea that, that every value is equal and that's really not the case. I mean, But having said that, you know, one thing that strikes me is that uh, this is newsworthy when this principle does this because it is exceptional. I think that we chose not to go down the road the United States went down 15 or 20 years ago where they, they literally took down all the municipal Christmas decorations, for instance. They said mm -hmm. we can't have any public display of a Christian celebration. In Canada, that's never happened. We've, we've still got them all over the place. And I think that Canada really did embrace the idea of, of uh, this sort of, uh, what's a cultural mosaic, this well, idea that yeah, we, we do, do celebrate reverse, though. We cultures. take taxpayers' money and spend it on other people's culture. And that, that gets a lot of resentment up from the people who don't share the values of the culture. But that's the opposite, though, of what support. we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is a principal saying you can't display a Christian icon in, your, in the school because it might offend no, other cultures. No, but you were cultures. comparing the difference between the Canadian and U.S. way of doing things, yep. you know. And I think just Canada's doing the same thing, but in a slightly different way. The U.S. may prohibit, we instead spend taxpayers' money to encourage, which is well, the same thing. But it's interesting. It's, 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 it's the other side of the, of the censorship opposite. point. But basically, we have to recognize there is such a thing as a minority. There are people who, who, whose views aren't represented as loudly as, as the majority are going to be. And the question is, what, well, what if anything do you do about that? And in okay. Canada, what we do is we say, well, everybody gets equal time. Everybody, we know if you want to put a Hanukkah candles up or whatever. At five, you know, at five broadly, to usually, you have to bring this issue up. The only minority out there is the individual. And because certain individuals are classed by some other identification, the color of their skin, the sexual organs they have, the sexual preferences they have, the, the consumer preferences they have, you can, you can classify people by any group 
quote, minority classification, but the only minority that matters is the individual. And it's individuals who have rights, it's individuals who vote. Groups have no rights other than the rights their individuals But have. a lot of individuals have, have ideas, they have history, they have culture, they have art that interests sure. me, and I'm, I'd right. like to find out about it. So rather, rather than saying, I'm, I'm not going to show you yours, and, I, and you're not allowed to show me, or you're not allowed to show me yours, and I'm not allowed to show you mine, I think it's much better for us all to say, look, let's get it out on the table and celebrate the whole darn mm, but thing. But that's not what, that's not where we are in Canada today. No. We're only halfway there, and the other half was exemplified by that, that the, the situation in Stony Brook, where it was yeah. not a case of, of one individual said, you know, that bothers me, I'm concerned about that. And uh, we're at that point, I think, personally, I think the principal should have said, well, I, you know, I completely understand your concern, I respect your concern, I thank you for your call. You've had the freedom to express the fact that you didn't like that, and welcome to Canada. It's, you know, you, I'm glad you've got that freedom. I hope you, you're glad you've got that freedom. But am I taking the cross down? Not in your life. Well, in fact, I've seen it taken a step further. And I remember being in daycare at one point, and they had the Christmas celebration and all that stuff around. And one of the parents who was Jewish said, do you mind if I come in and I'm going to tell the children about Hanukkah? And uh, brought in dreidels and what a great idea. stories and what all a that fabulous stuff. Idea. Yeah, exactly. And that, to me, is the way you should deal with it. Like that's that's you know, say sure by all means. But come that's on in. all voluntary and consensual. And, yeah. and what I was getting at earlier was that it's not when you take taxpayer money to pay for things like yeah, I that. I want to make one quick point, and maybe we will pick this up next week. You 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 said something a moment or two ago about the cross as a Christian icon. I don't believe it is a Christian icon in the context of Remembrance Day, which to me made that whole thing even worse. It made it even stupider to have pulled that out of there. It is an icon, all right, but it's not relative necessarily to Christianity. It has become kind of a symbol of sacrifice of people of all faiths, all creeds and colors, uh, in, in defense of this country. Yeah, well, if it's not that, I don't know what else it would be. And, and there has to be some icon of, of the sacrifice and yeah. of the death. Yeah, but the idea that it was opposed because it was, quote, a Christian icon. Gentlemen, thank you. It's been a pleasure. It always is. Thank you. We will be uh, um, joined next Wednesday at the same time with uh, by Bob and Jeff, and uh, maybe we'll pick up on this, and maybe there'll be something else that'll catch their eyes before that time. Thank you for participating in the program, being part of it today, and listening. Tomorrow, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and Ritalin. There are some people who believe Ritalin is the absolute not cure, but the solution to this problem. Other people say it's terrible. You can't be giving your kids drugs just for acting like kids. We're going to find out what's really going on here. And the grocery wars. We like store brands and generics, but national brands are staging a comeback. We're going to find out what that's all about and what's happening to the grocery market. It's changing yet again for the fifth or sixth time in my lifetime. Major changes. Uh, Friday, advice for chronic procrastinators and the David Orchard story and trivia and all that too. Anyway, for Jeff and for Bob and for Ryan and for Karen, it's Jim saying please take care of each other. Mind how you go and stay tuned for Ask the Experts at 1230 with our financial experts. Bye for now.